Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Tez My Best Teacher podcast with me, Dan Worth. Today's guest is comedian, writer, actress and broadcaster Mira Sayal, CBE. Best known for her involvement in everything from comedy shows Goodness Gracious Me and The Kamars at Number 42, to her novel Anita and Me and appearances in numerous TV shows and films. She spoke to Tez about her memories of school and why her best teacher was so important to her. He was a complete maverick. The way he taught Spanish was as a living, fun, relevant subject. You know, once you did Spanish, everyone kept doing it. He never lost a pupil. A school trip that didn't quite go to plan. The ferry, everyone was sick on the ferry. The coach driver looked half cut most of the time. There was one evening where there was a mass crying and why teachers should never doubt the role they can play in children's lives. A good teacher can change the course of their life. I really, I really believe that. All that and more on the latest Tez My Best Teacher podcast. Hi there, Mira. Welcome to the Tez My Best Teacher podcast. Thank you for, for being here and for chatting to us. Um, I suppose to begin with, we should just set the scene a bit. Um, you know, where was it you went to school? Uh, I suppose starting with your, with your primary school. My first um, two schools, Infants and Junior, were, were Perry Hall Infants and Junior School in Wentzfield in the West Midlands, where my mum was a teacher at the infant school. So um, all my associations with school uh, were quite positive. And I suppose I grew up with an innate love and respect for teachers because my mum was one and I saw the amount of love and care and time that she poured into her pupils. So... I suppose it never crossed my mind to rebel against a teacher or question a teacher or disrespect a teacher because it was, education was in my family. Yeah. I mean, I wish, I suspect every teacher wishes that was the case for all pupils, but um, <laughs> did, that, did, that, did that carry through into to secondary school as well then? That must have made the transition easier when you had that kind of just innate sort of, I'm here to learn, teachers are here to help yeah. me. That must have been quite a nice sort of thing to carry in into secondary school as well. Yes, it was. I think it's something, Thing that um, immigrant kids grow up with anyway. I mean, I was, my dad used to say, education is your passport. And that was drilled into you from a very early age that if you wanted to get on in this new country, the way you would get on was through your mind and the sweat of your brow and to just be, not waste the opportunities. I think anyone that comes from a country where you have to pay for education or pay to get into a good school concept of free and good education is a wondrous thing and it's not to be taken for granted um and also because I passed to the grammar school which the 11 plus then I mean I know we still have it but for those of my generation I think we all remember the 11 plus was a real winnowing wasn't it in a not probably very healthy way if you think about it that the whole trajectory of your life could be decided whether you pass that big, big test. Um, and in my case, if I hadn't, I would have gone to a not very good local school uh, in which I, I would have been the only child of colour. I can't imagine how tough that might have been in the 70s in the West Midlands. But as, as it turned out, thanks really to my mum, I think, and her drilling and tutoring at home, um, I passed to... Queen Mary's High School for Girls in Walsall, um, which had a fantastic reputation and was very academic, very high-achieving. And um, so I entered there going, wow, I've been given this amazing opportunity. I've got to make my parents proud. I've got to make them um, 
I've got to make them feel that all the sacrifice coming here was worth it. So you enter with a determination, but also this uh, incredible amount of pressure, really. I think it goes hand in hand with that, that you have to do well. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine. And obviously then to, to, to move on then, in terms of when you got to that school where you had that sort of sense of, right, I need to do well, who was the teacher or were there several teachers particularly that, again, sort of really you, were inspiring you and, and sort of gave you an outlet for that drive because you sort of saw that you could succeed and they, they guided you down that path? Mm. Well, um, the teacher that really made a huge impact on me was my Spanish teacher, um, Mr. Ian Cartwright. And um, so I think we started Spanish, what would have been the third year maybe? Mm. What would you call that now? Year nine? Uh, yes, year nine. Yes. I mean, old money, new yes. money. <laughs> <laughs> um, and suddenly, it, it, I mean, it was a complete maverick, which of course immediately made me go, oh, I really like you. You know, he um, he was a big northern bloke. He chain-smoked, often in lessons. Um, he played the guitar, often in lessons. Um, and he, the way he taught Spanish was as a living, fun, relevant subject. He would teach us songs in Spanish. He would bring in articles, um, anything that was amusing and interesting and tangential sometimes to the subject, he'd make us think about. And suddenly it wasn't just about learn this because you have to pass an exam. It became fun. And that's a huge skill. Anyone that can combine the fun with actually getting fantastic grades, which he inevitably did. Um, Spanish wasn't that a wasn't that a popular subject, uh, language subject, and German, funnily enough, was much more popular. So we, we were a very small group, and um, he just had this uh, irreverent, inquiring attitude that he encouraged in us as pupils, and he was the first person who took me to one side one day, I think I was probably going through some kind of adolescent angst. And he said, you're probably under a lot of pressure. And I think he absolutely knew what it was like for, um, well, I suppose an an Asian kid from an Asian family, because there were a couple of other girls like me, but also that I was, you know, quite shy. Uh, I was quite overweight. I was a little bit nerdy. I wasn't part of the the cool group. I certainly sort of was academic and worked hard, but he could probably see that socially I was suffering. And um, he took the time out to say, you know, it's it's great to be different. He said it will be the making of you because you see the world in a different way. You're obviously really driven and you really love the subject. I see you have curiosity. And I was part of his guitar group, which used to meet at lunchtime. So he knew me very well from there. But he he picked out the fact that he was a kid that was clearly outside the norm, uh, not one of the cool crowd, um, and took the time to go, thing that you think marks you out as um, lonely or different will actually be the thing that makes you stand out eventually. Yeah, that's an incredible thing to, to do, isn't it? Just to see that and, and have the wherewithal to articulate that just to a young person and in a way that obviously yeah. resonated. And and obviously in, in 
not linked to his Spanish teaching at all, just just being a teacher, a, a guide. I mean, again, clearly that resonated. Did it at the moment that happened? Do you remember having a sort of real wow that hit you, or was it more afterwards that you sort of realised that was the start of a sort of you know the, the impact was slow, but it, it came over time. I do remember feeling really quite overwhelmed at the time, um, just because he'd he'd noticed. He'd seen a bit of me that no one else had seen, not my parents, not my friends, nobody. As, a, as you say, as a really good teacher, he picked that out and he could probably see that I was struggling with it. Um, and that is, I mean, that's remarkable, really, considering also the amount of kids you have to deal with and who knows what all the various issues are to take the time to do that. And I always felt he kept a very paternal eye on me all through my time with him. So naturally I, I did O level and I actually did A level because, you know, once you did Spanish, everyone, everyone kept doing it. He never lost a pupil, which I think says a lot about him. Um because we just wanted to be around his aura, really. Mm. Was he a bit of a sort of secret in the school? Do you like, was it the kids who had him knew how good he was, and, they, and you know, or did everyone know how good he was? Because the way you described it, like that only a few people did Spanish, it almost sounds like it was this kind of thing, like you need to do Spanish. You know, this Mister Cartwright, he's good. <laughs> That's a really good point. We did feel a little bit special, the Spanish girls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, we we would, you know, celebrate the the naughtiness that had gone in in, in lessons. Um, and he was quite a character around the school. I mean, he was known for being outspoken. He was critical of the school to us sometimes, you know, in front of us, not in a sort of, not that he was telling tales in class. He wasn't repeating anything he hadn't obviously said to management or whoever. But the fact that he shared that stuff with us, he would say, I don't think the school's doing this right. What do you think as pupils? What do you think you can change about it? You know, maybe if you say something, he felt, like we had a say in our education which I also think was um very far-sighted and he was and he was quite a character in the school you know he'd walk around as I say with the fan hanging out of his mouth and his guitar case and this loud booming northern voice I mean he couldn't not notice him you know? <laughs> what music did he play what did what was the guitar group about well it started off um learning songs in Spanish because it's actually a fantastic way to, to get to know the language, um, your pronunciation, and obviously your meaning, you know. So he'd bring in Spanish folk songs. And then, because we enjoyed it so much, he just said, well, let's just do a guitar group. And he was the person that introduced all of us to, you know, people like James Taylor and Paul Simon and Eric Clapton and those are, you know, Bob Dylan, Cat Stevens, a lot of folk, you know, easy songs that you could play on the guitar, but great songs. Um, and it, as it happened, there were a couple of us that really enjoyed singing. And so, you know, we, we ended up doing stuff at school concerts. And I still have a recording of our last ever guitar group. Before oh, that's we amazing. I still have that, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's lovely. I can, I, and you can see why, obviously, a teacher like that would make such a difference. And mm. um, it's interesting you call him a maverick, I suppose, you know, that's a term that most teachers possibly don't always want associated with them, but but yes, I can see why you know to the young children that that really appeals, doesn't it? That kind of person who, like you said, engages you in the, and sort of is honest and says, "What do you think about this?" And I don't think the school's doing this right. That really sort of that sense of being treated like a, an adult and giving a voice right. is so important, isn't it? There was no patronisation involved. He mm. was extremely honest, um, and he would. Um, 
the thing is, he got he got the work done and he got amazing grades. Um, I think we all, everyone in the Spanish group came out with an A at A level. Right. Yeah. Which uh, is pretty, pretty good. Um, we wanted to please him. Mm. We wanted to do well for him because we thought he'd given us so much back. And again, I think that's the, that's one of the, the things that great teachers do. They don't make it feel like work. They make it feel like, you know, we're achieving this together. Your your achievements, my achievements, and I'm mm. invested in you. That's how it felt. And did that did that carry into other areas of school? You know, were you a good student anyway in other lessons, or, or was it, you know, was that the lesson where you particularly tried the hardest because of that relationship you had? And I, what well, I was a bit, a bit, what do we used to call it, a swap. I was a bit <laughs> of a swap in them days. But then, um, as I, as I tell my kids. Um, I had nothing much else to do. I lived in a little village and then I moved to a little town. Uh, I certainly wasn't allowed to go to pubs or discos or the other things that, you know, teenagers were doing. Uh, And so what else was there? But here's the big difference. My parents, because they were so far-sighted, didn't push me towards the sciences like a lot of other Asian kids. In fact, every other Asian kid I knew, whether they liked them or not, were pushed towards... Things like yeah, the sciences, you know, pharmacist, doctor, okay, lawyer, you know, if you can't do science. But my my parents could see really early on that I was creative, that I loved writing, that I loved English. And in this wonderful act of um, wisdom and compassion said, we think you should do the subjects that make you happy and that you're clearly really good at. And it was made easier by the fact I was really particularly bad at maths and struggled in science. I was very, very weighted on one side. In fact, I had to have maths tuition, you know, to just scrape through my O-level. So um, they could see that they were on a hiding to nowhere thinking that I was suddenly going to become very good at science and become a surgeon. It really wasn't going to happen. Uh, so they gave me their blessing. So I would say from, you know, my A-levels for me were honestly so joyous because I did English, French and Spanish and I loved them, loved languages, loved being creative. To me, it felt like um, I felt lucky because I saw my equivalent friends really struggling with subjects they didn't want to do and that their parents had forced them to do. Mm. Yes, I can imagine that must have made it. Let's like say when you're doing what you want to do, you're sort of more inclined to, to study hard and enjoy what you're doing. And then when you've got good teachers facilitating that, you know, it just is a, a virtuous circle, really. Yes, and the sort of truism is, you know, if you're passionate about a subject, you're going to work at it and it won't feel like work. It never mm. felt like work to me. To, to be allowed to read books and write about books and talk about books, to be, you know, have the sort of joy of speaking French and Spanish and discovering all of, you know, the, the pleasure of being able to communicate and understand. For me, you know, that wasn't work. Maths was work. Yeah. Maths was torture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know exactly where you're, where you're coming from, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some subjects are a lot easier and a lot more pleasurable than others, aren't they? Yeah, double yeah. physics was always my, like, horror. Oh, my gosh. And that feeling that you're standing on sand and just thinking, I don't even understand the basics. You're now talking about stuff that, you know, I don't. Even, I can't even remember how this worked in in the first year we did it. So we're now here. We are in year four, and I still don't understand. You can never catch up. That's the problem. You just can't ever get a handle on it if your brain doesn't work that way. 
And with Mr. Cartwright particularly, I mean, you know, did you ever get a chance to go back and, and speak to him and, and both sort of him to sort of understand the role he had in, in a way in that career you had, but also that particular moment you, you talked about, about how he sort of took you to one side. Did you ever get a chance to tell him about that and what it meant and the impact it had on you? You know, fortunately I did. I met, and I still call him Mr. Cartwright, despite the fact he says, call me Ian. I said, I can't, I can't. <laughs> just feels wrong Mr Garland um but I've met him a couple of times I think he came to a recording of Parkinson that I invited him to when I was on Parkinson and, and my parents were there and they were so happy to see each other as well and then he came to see me in Shirley Valentine and I was doing that at the West End so I made a point of inviting him and giving him contact with him during that period and you know, it is actually, it's such a wonderful thing when you're able to tell a teacher many decades on about the impact that they'd had. And, you know, I was able to say to him, I, I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't had that sudden light bulb moment with you where you just said, it's okay to be the way you are. And actually, it will be your calling card. Cherish it. That was sort of a template for when I started acting and writing. I did think back to, I don't know if anyone's going to get the stuff I'm writing. I don't know if anyone's going to get this humour. But it is who I am. Um, and it might be the thing that helps me because I'm, because I'm saying something or trying to express something that hasn't been done before. So it's either going to spectacularly fail and no one will get it or people will go wow, that's a fresh perspective. And luckily it was the second. Mm. That, that, that point you mentioned there about being able to go back and, and say that and say what impact you had. I mean, obviously there'll be teachers listening to this who sort of, you know, they will know that you know, that sort of frustration, but the joy of teaching is that you you know it's good for the pupil and you know that it's going to have an impact, but they won't know it. But I can't think of any yes. other profession <laughs> where that can happen, where someone like yourself can come back and really say that moment, that thing you said to me made mm. such a difference. And that might happen 20 years after the fact. And for teachers, that, I can't think of any other profession where that kind of longevity of an impact can be really known and pinpointed and, and see, see how it manifested in, in life. Again, for him, yeah, that must have yeah. been, I don't know how he responded, the way you described him, maybe he just sort of went, oh, well, thanks very much. But, you know. He did, actually. Yeah, yeah right. right. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure, in, I'm sure deep down he, he sort of, you know, what a thing to sort of hear and then take home and sit down and think, right, I'm glad I did that. You know, I'm glad I made that effort back 20 years before or whenever it was. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, I you know, it, it's been said a lot, but a good teacher can change the course of your life. I really, I really believe that. And I, I you know, the general frustration that I felt on behalf of my mum and all the other teachers that they've they feel I feel they're so undervalued. They're certainly underpaid. And um, and I think especially what the teaching profession is coping with now. I mean, going above and beyond. The teachers at my son's school have been spectacular absolutely spectacular in their support and trying to keep pupils engaged and invested and interested and um you know you hear that well you get really long holidays i don't know what they're complaining about <laughs> that. have you any idea of what teachers do in their so-called holidays because i know because i because of my mom and i mean my mom she um she taught a reception class and she was like their mom mm. i mean you have that whole trauma of kids that have never left their moms before coming into school and uh, I go and help out, actually, occasionally. And uh, first day of term, she'd literally be sitting on the chair and there'd be three children holding onto each arm and a couple in her lap, all crying, all needing the toilet, or they forgot their lunch, 
important. I mean, she was literally their mum as well as their teacher and the love and care she lavished on them. And then over the years, I've seen so many pupils get in touch, particularly now with social media, going, Mrs. Style was my favourite teacher. She made me love going to school. I remember she used to give me loads of cuddles and she was so kind. So I think I was aware quite early on the importance and impact of teachers. And you've, you've been in yourself to help in, in those classes as well, you said? Yes, I used to go because um, once I started uh, senior school, my mum and I, my, I were in different in the different local authorities, so often our holidays didn't clash, so my half-term wasn't the same as hers. So I'd go and be classroom assistant for the week and help her out with the kids. Oh, right, that must have been, yeah, that must have been fun. It was, I mean, they're just gorgeous at that age. You feel like you're a lily put there, everything's tiny, little <laughs> tiny toilets and little tiny chairs. Um, but I loved it, and um, yes, lots of story time. Mm. I was, I was the main storyteller and um, playground help and stuff. I mean, I don't know if you'd be allowed to do that now without all the checks and stuff, but I think in those days, because obviously mum mum was at the same school for her entire teaching career pretty much, so I knew all the staff and I knew the headmistress. She'd seen me grow up. So I was just allowed to go in and help, and, um, yeah, it was uh, fantastic. On, on another uh, sort of different arena of, of school life then, um, particularly this in secondary school, were there any good school trips you went on? I mean, that they're always a uh, you know a good fertile ground for good stories. Do you remember any good trips out anywhere, particularly either whether abroad or in the local area or anything like that that's always sort of stayed with you as, well, how do we get away with that or anything like that? <laughs> You're talking to the good girl here. Yes, yeah, true. <laughs> um, the girl was like, we're going on an academic trip. That's absolutely <laughs> super. I do remember like... I think every school kid of my generation being driven down to London to see the Tutankhamen exhibition mm. and queuing up for hours outside the British Museum. And, I mean, it was as, as spectacular as everybody said it would be. Um, and it was, I think it was one of my first trips to London. Um, and I do remember thinking, oh, this is an exciting place. It's, yeah, coming from Walsall, which is a sort of, a small town in the West Midlands and suddenly being in the hub and bustle of everything. And of course, you know, seeing the West End theatres and the lights and this little, tiny little seed somewhere inside going, oh, and the theatres. I mean, because I think even then I have this little secret desire that I wanted to maybe try out in one day, but not having any idea of how to go about it. But I do remember that, that thrill of um, being in London and this, it's weird kind of, I don't know, this feels a bit like home. I feel like one day, maybe, maybe, maybe. One day I could maybe come and live here. <laughs> <laughs> little Midland bed. Um, but yeah, that was an amazing trip. And then I do remember a disastrous school trip to Belgium, um, which uh, I think was in the junior, was it the junior school? No, it was the senior school, the senior school. Um I think it was the first time that the school had uh, organised it. So everything was not tried and tested. And it was really miserable. I mean, it was clearly done on the most awful budget, you know. The ferry, everyone was sick on the ferry. The coach driver, uh, you know, looked half cut most of the time. <laughs> it was really grumpy. The place that we stayed in was like a sub-youth hostel. It was mm. grimy. It was one bathroom between... 15 girls I mean it was everything seemed incredibly <laughs> miserable it rained all the time 
And I think it was for a lot of us our first time ever abroad and away from our parents. So I do remember we spent, there was one evening where there was a mass crying. All 15 girls sort of piled into one bedroom and everybody in that hysterical teenage girl way just <laughs> cried and cried and said, we really have sick and we want to go. <laughs> God, that, that, yeah, sorry, I feel like I've opened up a, an old, you know, long suppressed <laughs> memory there. <laughs> but also, you know, I do remember thinking, I mean, I have to say I wasn't one of the crimes. I was the one that was giving out tissue and going, well, it'll be over soon. We have to make the most of it, you know, my Pollyanna-ish way. Yeah. But also there was a bit outside watching, thinking, oh, this is such a funny scene. Mm. This has got great comedic gold in here. Yeah. I'm going to remember this. And I think, um, I think when you talk to a lot of creative people, picky writers, um, you begin to realise that you are a sort of, vampire and you know there's a bit of you even through the darkest moments you're standing outside it in this weird schizophrenic way going I must remember that line for a scene mm. I must remember how that girl's crying and how the snot's going everywhere because that's actually quite funny and you, and there was a bit of me like Nora Ephron has famously said it's all copy so I think even in the worst bits of school and um, there was always a bit of me that was going I'm going to write about this one day I'm going to use that horrible line one day in the scene or that funny line one day in the scene it's never sort of wasted you keep you keep gathering it where where was the trip where did you go in belgium on this trip i think it was i do remember wandering around bruges Mm. um so i think but i don't know what the educational value was other than we're going to Belgium. I think we might have gone maybe to some war memorials, possibly. It was a very long time ago. I mainly remember the rain. Um, the only thing that there was to buy was lace, and everybody discovered chips and mayonnaise and thought this was quite an innovation. Right, yes, yeah. So have, have, then, have you ever written about it in any way? Have you used it in anything you've, you've produced subsequently? Oh, I think in every time I've written about teenage girls which I have Mm. quite a lot I think a lot of and being an old girls school as well a lot of the a lot of the experiences I've sort of mined from there um I think that that trip itself could be a I don't know if that's become ever become something you've written about just like 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 you said the whole thing from the start the the ferry crossing the driver (laughs) you can just picture the the, the scenes you can't you in the plot and it it ends in this like mass crying hysteria and then someone (laughs) And the chips and the mayo, though, was the sort of, well, we got that at least, you know. <laughs> we got that at least. Well, I, th- I, th- I suspect that wouldn't on its own be quite enough to hold interest. But I do remember watching a documentary, um, quite an extraordinary documentary, that at one point in his career, um, where he was struggling with lots of issues, Marvin Gaye escaped and ended up staying with some friends in this tiny little town in Belgium where mm. nobody could find him. And I thought that might be an interesting collision. You put in Marvin Gaye in the mix and then a bunch of hysterical homesick school <laughs> girls, that could be quite interesting. Yeah, that would make quite a story. <laughs> Wouldn't it? <laughs> but that didn't happen in real life. We should be we should be clear that was I wish. God, that would have made the whole trip worth it, meeting yeah. Marvin Gaye, eating yeah. chips and mayonnaise. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant, excellent. Well, there's some, some lovely memories here, both obviously of, of Mr. Cartwright and, and school trips and so forth. Even if they weren't educationally worthwhile, they were clearly um, memorable, which is which is always good. Yeah, certainly uh, memorable. <laughs> obviously, it's a, it's a strange year this year, and as just like last year. But have you have you got any sort of interesting, you know, fun projects coming up this year? Anything that you know our listeners should be aware of and, and listen out for, or, or keep an eye out for? Um, 
I do have um, a new series coming out on Radio 4 in February, uh, for which I've revived my Granny Kumar character, actually. And it's called Gossiping Goddesses with Granny Kumar. And um, it's basically Granny Kumar plus her great-granddaughter and her frenemy, Gita, interviewing um, all these sort of extraordinary women that I often think should be on chat shows and never are. So we've got people like Tandy Newton and um, Josette Simon and Anita Rani and Anushka Shankar, these extraordinary um, role models, really. Uh, I wanted to find something that was celebratory and fun uh, and also enlightening, I hope. Um, and so I brought her back so I could do just that. That sounds, that sounds great. And, and so presumably that will have the same irreverent, you know, sort of um, tone as that character. Totally. Yes, okay. Yeah, it's granny without the family, basically, but the same sort of... Um, mix of sitcom and improvisation uh, and we, we recorded the whole thing in lockdown which was quite a challenge but actually ended up being rather wonderful and intimate um, we hired out a whole studio for, we recorded on a weekend when there was no one else there we were all socially distanced and in different bits of the studio but normally one would have had an audience but because we didn't we actually made a fake one up um, the intimacy of the interviews and um sort of, it just felt like a bunch of your best girlfriends sitting around for a good old gossip in a rather lovely way. So I think it just felt in the middle of all that awfulness to have this island of sort of joy and connection was, um, was really great. And I think it comes out in the show. I hope it does. Did you, um, because you recorded it without an audience, which I'm presuming in normal times you would have, did you find that changed the dynamic and maybe you people were looking less for laughs or able to sort of talk for long without an audience interruption. You're not to suggest that an audience is a bad thing, but do you think it changed how you engage with each other in something like that? Totally. It felt like we were sitting over, you know, snacks and a glass of wine in somebody's sitting room. And I think therefore our guests really opened up. And, um, you know, obviously all, all my guests are women from the diaspora because that's what I wanted to do. And so we, there were lots of things that, Possibly you don't really say on a normal chat show. You wouldn't say to each other, but it felt like a safe space. So it was really interesting to talk about people's childhoods. And and actually, people's school experiences came up a lot. Uh, the number of um, black women, particularly at school, like Maggie Adair in Pocock, who is, you know, this genius brain, physicist and engineer, was... Uh, you know, put in a remedial class at school. And one can only guess why. Um, Tandy Newton was the only uh, girl in a, a very strict Catholic school full of nuns, had quite a difficult time. So it was quite interesting to mine into those areas and yet somehow still make it joyous and life-affirming because the fact is all of those women are extraordinary and successful and <clears throat> they too, in their own way, found that inspirational person uh, somewhere in their school life and their education that said it's okay to be different and actually you're extraordinary and you'll know that one day yeah oh that's that's great to hear about that so that's coming out on radio four and and sorry remind me again of the, the name and the listeners of the name of the show radio four I, th I think the first it's gossip and goddesses with granny kumar our first show is february the 10th and it's on for six consecutive weeks 
Oh, that sounds great. And obviously for, for our podcast now, thank you so much for the time and, and your stories and insights. And so I think a really lovely listen, I think teachers out there, you know, really sort of underlines just the work they do and those little moments and how they can help people and just shows why it's all so worth it. And no matter how hard it can be, it, it really has impact on people in so many ways. So thank you so much again for taking part and look forward to the new show coming out soon. Thank you. And such a pleasure. And thank you to all the teachers listening. We really appreciate you.